Hey guys, I'm so glad you decided to join us. My name is Bethany. I'm Emmanuel Baptist's uh, college student techie, basically the unpaid intern. Um, <laughs> and we're so glad you decided to join us today. Uh, just a couple things before we start the episode. Um, first of all, the audio is pulled from our Facebook Live video, so that means the quality isn't that great. But the good news is you can go to our Facebook page to watch the video in its entirety. I'll put the link in the description, and that'll include the singing and all of that. Um, we know the quality isn't that great, but we created this podcast. I put podcast in air quotes. Um, so you can listen to the sermon, whether you're working or driving or whatever. Um, so anyway, so glad you're here and enjoy. never come to your word lightly. If it's a part of our lives, we can get so used to it that we can forget that these are your words to us. Words of everlasting life. A vibrant word. Lord, make that word speak to us here today. May your Holy Spirit lead us to the truth that you want each one of us to know here this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, if you've been in church a while, you've heard the song made popular with the Kingsmen, Excuses, Excuses. You hear them every day. Yes, people know that song. And we could have played that here this morning. But I'm going to have us do something a little different. I want you to think for a moment. What is the best excuse that you've ever used or that you've heard? I didn't mean to do it. The what? I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it, okay. Yes. Not my job, not my problem. All right. Anybody else? Well, you guys are coming up with these real easy. I heard somebody say she couldn't work today, so I thought I'd ask her to do that. Okay. And my grandmother did die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've already used that one. All right. Good. Thank you for sharing. Excuses do come fairly easy. We know in the garden, the woman made me. We easily have excuses come because it comes from our fallen nature. Now, God may ask you a demanding task, but his call on us keeps us going when maybe we don't want to go. And we're ready to throw in the towel. We're ready to quit. So turn, if you will, to Jeremiah. Begin right at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, 
the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Ananoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set over you the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Excuse me, and the word of the Lord came to me the second time, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it is facing away from the north. <clears throat> then the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am coming, excuse me, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gate of Jerusalem, against its walls all around. And against the cities of Judah, I will utter my judgment against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the work of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourselves and arise, and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. We began by looking at excuses. In the Christian world, we can find all sorts of excuses. 
not to obey God's voice. It's the preacher's job. It's not my gift. I've already served. Let somebody else do it. I'm too busy, or too tired, or too old, or too young. It has been said that excuses are the tools of the incompetent, and those who specialize them seldom go far. Ben Franklin wrote this, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for making anything else. Jeremiah had every excuse ready when God called him to be a prophet. His excuses are often our excuses for not heeding God's voice when he calls. Countering each excuse with a promise from the Lord our God. Verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe your life isn't going or hasn't gone the way you expected. Or maybe you don't feel special. But what you hear in God's word. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's our Lord. That's our God. He loves each one of us implicitly. Before you were in his womb, he knew you personally. And that's one message that certainly a dying world needs to know. But getting back on hand, the excuse, the task, is demanding. Jeremiah had this task. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That's what he says in verse 5. I ordained you. I made you, Jeremiah, a prophet to the nations. And what does Jeremiah say? Ah, Lord God, behold, I can't speak, for I am but a youth. Jeremiah comes up with this experience. Notice the words being said. A prophet to the nations. Not a priest like his father and grandfather. A prophet was chosen. A spokesman. Authorized for God. Who declared God's word to the people. We often think of prophets as people who, can't, who can tell the future. But rather, a prophet is someone that spoke messages to the present that had future ramifications. They were foretellers more than they were foretellers. Exposing the people's sin, calling them back to their covenant responsibilities before the Lord God. Being a prophet was more demanding than serving as a priest. The priest's duties were predictable. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I do like predictability. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to schedules and stuff, I'm not real good at them. 
but I like predictability in my, in my life. I like things in order. I like them in a row so I know what is happening. That's the life of a priest. It was ordered. But here we have Jeremiah not called to that. He was called to something that he didn't want, to be a prophet to the nation. The prophet never knew from day to day what the next thing the Lord would be asking him to do. Anybody? Maybe you've read Jeremiah, hopefully. What were some of the things, weird things that Jeremiah did? Yes? Okay, good guess, though. Didn't he at one point have karaoke? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Jeremiah had a lot of signs that he did for the people. In that instance, a yoke that he carried. You guys are going to be under Babylonian yoke. Well, let's go with it. All right? There was the dung pile. He had a lay on his side. All these things. He was supposed to stop praying for him. Things that are very, very hard to do. He never knew what the Lord was going to ask him to do. The priest worked primarily to preserve the past. But the prophet labored to change the present so that the future, the nation would have a future. Priests dealt with externals. Rituals, sacrifices, offerings, services. Whereas the prophet tried to reach and change hearts. The priests ministered primarily to individuals with various needs. While the prophet, on the other hand, addressed the whole nation. And usually addressed the people that didn't want to hear the message. Priests belong to a special tribe and therefore had authority and respect. But a prophet could come from any tribe and therefore had to prove, more or less, their divine call. The priests were supported from sacrifices, from offerings of the people. But a prophet had no guaranteed income. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ was a prophet. He traveled from place to place, challenging people to change their future. To change so they would have a future in heaven. Jesus spoke to the hearts of people. And again, most didn't accept his message of repentance. Because they didn't want to change. But notice, Jeremiah is given a promise. God may assign you a demanding task, but his call keeps us going when we don't want to go, when we're ready to quit. We have the promise of God's purpose. Again, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The verb here, know, has much more simply than being made aware of. It carries the idea of recognition, of the worth, of the purpose of him who is known. God knows each one of us. He has a purpose for each one of us. And again, as we've said, he deeply cares for each one of us. 
God knew Jeremiah. He chose Jeremiah. He appointed Jeremiah. He was known by name, handpicked by God, commissioned to serve. Those acts give one a great sense of purpose. The promise of God's purpose allows us to go, let go of our own plans, to receive God's any fear. Like Jeremiah, like our Lord Jesus Christ. How are we doing in the category of accepting that our future is not our own? That we have been bought with a price. We are God's. He has a distinct plan and purpose for each of our The next excuse that he tries to use. My talent is inadequate. Maybe we've undone that. I really don't have a talent. I really, I'm inadequate. God calls, he equips. Our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am but a man. Jeremiah felt inadequate, very inadequate as a public speaker. We know. Anybody else? Famous prophet that used the same excuse? Moses, good wild guess. Is that the same guess over here? Yeah. That's the one I always think of, Moses. But, 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 that was Moses. If anyone knew me when I was in high school, I didn't read aloud or even speak much in class. You see, I had a speech impediment when I was younger and it greatly impacted my self-esteem. I'm tired, you guys will notice it from time to time. I slur my words together, I have difficulty with that. To think that I would do any kind of public speaking let alone be a preacher, I would laugh out loud, for example. I was Catholic. I had no thought of being a Baptist, Baptist preacher at all. Also, if there was any kind of crowd, I would be on edge. I'd be on the edge. I'd like to just blend in. I was definitely what you would call a wallflower. I remember when Sue and I began to sense God's call on our lives. We were speaking with our pastor, who was our mentor and our friend. He said, Mark, how are you going to be a pastor? You are so bad with names. And he's so right. I am. That's why when you said there was going to be a quiz, it's like, I'm going to fail that quiz. <laughs> it's going to take me a long time to get your names right. Just letting you know now. Don't take it personally. <laughs> what? <laughs> if God calls, God empowers. So if He's calling you something in your life, if you're just getting this, go talk to that person. Do it. He will give you the words to say. Again, if He asks you to do something, do it. 
pastors feel inadequate. Calvin Miller wrote these words about his call. I was so inferior, even the neighbors noted it and pointed it out to my mother as I grew up. In my late teens, one of my sisters felt led of God to help me get in touch with myself by telling me in her own opinion, which was inerrant as the King James Bible, that if God called me to do anything, he must have had a wrong number. When I told my preacher I was called to preach, he didn't necessarily feel that God had a wrong number, but he was concerned that I might have had a poor connection. God has a way to overcome our weakness, all of our insufficiencies, doesn't he? I have learned over the years, however, that the person most aware of his own inadequacy is usually the person most dependent on God's all sufficiency. My inadequacy inadequacy has caused me to rely on God. And we know that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. His glory is manifested in my Think about that. God's glory is manifested in our flaws. So we can say, I I can't talk to that person. I can't sing a special. By the way, I'm giving an invitation to anybody. It's been a while since we've done specials. Feel free if you got that a a talent, or even if you don't got that a talent, but you just want to sing out to the Lord and bless others. When we are weak, Our talent may appear inadequate. But God always equips those that he calls. Take a look at verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. The touch was not so much as to purify as it was to empower. It was symbolic of the gift of prophecy bestowed upon Jeremiah. Again, you might say, well, I'm no prophet. I don't have the gift of prophecy. Again, if the Lord asks you to do something, he'll give you the words. He'll give you the strength. Maybe it's just a visit from I know with hospital rules and regulations, it's so much much more difficult than those days, and you might not get in. But maybe someone's at their home, and they need a visit. And you're thinking, how could I? I don't know what to say. There's a ministry just in presence that people often forget about. Just being there. If he's asking you to visit someone, let them see your presence. Let them know that you're loved. Take them something, whatever the case happens to be. It's a dying world that needs to hear the Lord's message. Are we going to be used by him in the process? God does not bless 
silver tongue orator, but the one whose tongue has been touched by the coals of the altar. God uses not the most gifted and talented person, but the one touched by the hand of himself. God uses the most unlikely persons to shake a church or a community or a nation. Never underestimate the power of touch, especially when the Lord God does the touching. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ. He experienced the touch of the Father in a profound way. Think about his baptism. Immediately coming out of the water, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended like a bubble upon him. And what did he hear? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. If you're his child, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, we're his child. He's well pleased. Go forth in his name. The third excuse that Jeremiah tried. The timing isn't right. Jeremiah said, I am but a youth. I'm but a youth. Now, youth, some have said that maybe inexperienced would be a better word here. Some scholars believe that it was around 20 to 25, Jeremiah was at the time of his call. So maybe he wasn't revealing so much his age, but his feeling of immaturity. He felt inferior, inexperienced, intimidated by the size of the task that the Lord was calling him. Again, verses 7 and 8. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. I am with you to deliver you. Anybody ever gone with anybody else to witness to somebody? It's easier when somebody else is there. It really is. Because you have someone to bounce things off of. But remember, when you're going, there is somebody beside you. The Lord Jesus Christ is with you. He has given you his Holy Spirit. You have God and very God inside of you. You can go forth with boldness. But notice, there is a condition on Jeremiah's promise here. Before Jeremiah could experience God's presence, he had to go to where God sent him, speak to what God told him, and reject Someone once said that when God calls us to a task, he does not give us a roadmap to follow and then leave us to our own resources. God walks with us. His presence gives us the strength to stand in the face of every assault. We know that we have a, a new Supreme Court nominee. And she's been attacked violently. 
full of God. Stand for our faith. Even when it's in opposition to others. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ knew the presence of the Father. He and the Father were one. Or I should say are one. He could go on because our Lord and God What a difference it makes knowing that when we are sent, someone is going with us. We do not have to walk the lonesome road alone. We always have a traveling companion. The next excuse that he tries to use. The teaching is dangerous. The Lord did not give Jeremiah a joyful message of deliverance to announce, but a tragic message of judgment. Consequently, Jeremiah was misunderstood, persecuted, arrested, imprisoned. More than once in his life, his life was threatened. The people did not want to hear truth. Jeremiah told them plainly that they were defying the Lord their God. They were disobeying his law and were destined for judgment. We see, as we've read here this morning, about a boiling pot. God used this as a symbol for the coming wrath. Verse 13. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? I see a boiling pot, and it is facing away from the north. Jewish homes would have a fairly large, wide mouth washing or cooking pot. The unusual thing about the pot Jeremiah saw was that it wasn't level, it was tilted away from the north. The pot at any moment could spew its boiling contents towards the south. An image here galling the people of Judah. The pot re represented the nation of Babylon that would come and invade and conquer Israel. The reason for the judgment was Israel's idolatry, their rebellion against God's righteous will. We know that Jesus, teaching, was one of mercy but it was also one of judgment. Jesus' teaching was one of grace, but also of punishment. Jesus' teaching, they were dangerous too. We know that ultimately his teaching cost him his life. What God says through us may be dangerous, but God gives us the strength to endure. We have the promise of God's prevailing. Again, verse 18. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze, bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord. 
architectural terms used here. A fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls, solid, unshakable, like the gods who conceived them, the prophets whom they would come to baptize. God assured Jeremiah, as taxes they will, but they won't overcome you. The person who stands with God will prevail. You've all heard this probably before. One with God is a majority. One with our Lord and God is a majority. Alone we are helpless. With God, each one of us will prevail. In the days of the Roman Empire, the great Colosseum of Rome was filled to capacity with spectators coming for the state games watching human beings battle against wild beasts or against one another until one or both of them died. The crowd found its greatest delight in the death of a human being. When Honorus was emperor of Rome in 404 AD, the vast crowd watched the contest. But then, a Syrian monk by the name of Telemetrus leaped onto the Colosseum floor. So torn by the utter disregard for the value of human life. So here's this monk, he jumps in the Colosseum floor and says, you know, more or less, he was desperate because human life was being killed all around. He cried out, in the name of God, this thing is not right. In the name of God, this thing must stop. The spectators became enraged at this courageous man. They mocked him. They threw objects at him. Caught up in the excitement, the gladiators attacked him. A sword pierced him. This man fell to the ground. He was dead. The entire Colosseum fell silent. For the first time, the people, with an insatiable bloodthirst, recognized the horror of what they had called entertainment. Telemachus kindled a flame in the hearts and the consciousness of thinking people. History records that because of his courageous act, within a few months, the gladiatorial combat began to decline, and very shortly passed from the scene. Why? Because one man dared to speak out for what he believed was right. His message was dangerous, for it challenged the pleasures and the enjoyment of the people. Though Telemachus died, his message prevailed. Now we come to our final excuse. Do I have to go now? Do I have to go now? Here we go to verse 17. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them while I command you. 
God was expecting immediate action from Jeremiah. God said, Boss, get ready, stand up, go. We know that in Jeremiah's day, men, they had to tie their robes together in order to run or to work. Jeremiah was in for a struggle. He had a fight on his hands. He had to gird up his loins. It was a metaphor that meant get ready for action. Maybe today we'd say roll up your sleeves. It's time, it's time for the work. God called Jeremiah to act. He was called to move out among the people, to deliver an offensive message. He would not be welcomed, nor would he be accepted. He would anger his hearers. God expects obedience. Verse 17. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I be lest I dismay you before them. We have a promise of God's power. Immediate obedience is the only appropriate response when God calls. Looking at our Savior, we know He obeys. Look at the agony our Lord Jesus Christ went in the garden. We often think of the fact of the cruelty that happened to Jesus, the beating, the whipping, knowing that he was going to be crucified, and the agony that would bring. But we can't comprehend the agony that our Lord Jesus Christ faced when you had to think about the fact that he We have really no comprehension of what that would be like. A holy God becoming sin in these weeks. And he agonized over that. But he didn't. Because it's the Lord's will. There's no circumventing. Only immediate action. So again, has God called you? He will fill his purpose, his purpose in you. He will equip you. He will enable you. He will protect you. He will accompany you. Are you obeying his commands? He is with you to protect you. Are you sharing the word? He will accomplish his purpose no matter how people reach out. We can go forth boldly in his name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this challenge, for this reminder from your word. Not to be timid. We saw Jeremiah and the excuses. But we know, Lord, for each one of those excuses, you have a promise. And we know that you are always with us. You are closer than any brother. Lord, help us to remember that to rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us as we go forth in your name. We ask this in your name.
blessed us with the changing of the season. As we welcome the autumn of May the earlier setting of the sun remind us of the time we were May the brilliant colors of the leaves remind us of the wonder of your name. May the steam of our breath in the cool air remind us that it is you who give us the breath of life. May the harvest from the fields remind us of the abundance we have been given and the bounty we are to share with the people. May the dying the summer spirit remind us of your great promise that death is temporary but life we praise you for your goodness forever and ever and let us as a people not be making excuses because we're reminded of faithfulness as we go forth 